What is going on? Brian Chung, SAI Million Dollar PDR Podcast, where we talk all things PDR. Usually marketing, occasionally we'll talk tech tips, repair stories. I'll slip in baseball every now and then when it's relevant because my uh, my boys play ball. Um, what else? We're into car restoration a little bit, pour some VW primarily, so we'll talk that sometimes. Customer horror stories. Horror, not whore. Um, yeah, so this last weekend we had our informal Christmas party. We had like a little block party where, uh, the studio here is in Southern California. Good time. One of the buses is just about done. So we, uh, broke open the double doors. I'll try to post up some photos on social meds, but, uh, we had cool little, uh, tin, uh, tubs with all the, the drinks in it, the sodas and the festival drinks and all that fun stuff. And freaking bomb ass carne asada. Thank you to Abe, the plumber down the at the end of the road there in the building. It was fun, man. We did it uh, right after work. A fair amount of people showed up. Uh, John, one of the students, showed up as well. I appreciate him coming in. It was good times, man. We had good time music. But I made one almost super costly uh, error. I like pointing out my mistakes and errors, guys, if you haven't already figured it out. I'll tell you when I mess up with clients. Um, matter of fact, I'll tell you about that. I had a client over the weekend too that I, I made a mistake with. Um, and it always goes back to that goddamn paint touch up. But uh, nonetheless, uh, made a mistake with the party. So, like I said, everything went great. We had a good time, good food, and we're cleaning up. And the wife's with me. God love her. She's helping out. Everybody else, you know, kick sand, kick rocks, get out of here. It was like started like around five. Everybody stayed till about eight thirty, no later than nine. I'd say 8.30. It's getting cold. I mean, outside of the back of the, the studio, it was probably 45 degrees. getting chilly. At least for us, that's chilly. But because it was chilly, I had a little bonfire back there. Yeah. Not a good idea. I had like a steel upside down table, but it had like venting or grates in it. So it wasn't closed off on the bottom. And the pavement surface was asphalt. Did you know that asphalt is, is uh, flammable? I didn't know that. I did figure it out though, I'll tell you that. Three hours later, finally figured out how to put out an asphalt fire. Three hours. Now you might be thinking, why didn't why didn't I call the fire department? Well, it, it wasn't raging, number one. It was contained. It was just like like almost like steamy. But it was definitely inside the asphalt was was burning. It was like when they pour hot asphalt, that's kind of what it was like. And uh, if I would have called the fire department, probably would have ruined my lease. Uh, and we've already repaired the asphalt, thank you, after the fact. So everything's good. But yeah, it took us three hours. I will share this. If you're ever around a fire and it's asphalt, be careful. But number one, it can explode, which ours didn't, thank God. But uh, number two, um, it's a grease fire. It's a petroleum flare, uh, fire. Water won't really help. It cools it down, but it keeps burning as long as it's got f uh, fuel and oxygen. So we had baking soda, but because it was burning deep down inside, you couldn't, or smoldering, I guess, probably a better word, you couldn't really put it out. So we had to dig it up a little bit. And once we did, we were able to get baking soda on it, and then we put it out. So that was pretty hairy. That was three hours worth of work. Uh, as long as the party lasted, as long as it took us to put out this freaking little bonfire. 
But anyway, all is fair in love and war. The pavement, the asphalt was re repaved, so we're back in business. It's fine. It was a small spot, like 18 inches by 18 inches, but but it was kind of hairy when it wouldn't go out. And, and I, like I said, no flames, just smoke. But it just kept smoking and smoking and smoking. I'm like, shit, can't leave this. And everything on Google kept showing pictures of parking lots just, just continually burning with fire departments having a hard time putting them out. And I get it. I'm not a firefighter, but our fire extinguisher didn't work and neither did water. So what's the moral of the story here? Don't be a dumbass like Brian and have a bonfire. So, and it wasn't even like a bonfire. It was like, like two or three logs. It was small, but anyway. So that's, that's Brian mistake number one. Brian mistake number two, you might be asking. Yeah, I didn't forget about it. I'll tell you. Hyundai Palisade comes in for a dent and a scratch. He's had the Palisade for one year. Charlie's his name. Super nice guy. Met his wife. I don't think I was ever given her name, so I can't quote it. But uh, I told Charlie, you have two options. Paintless tent repair and touch-up. It was black, a heavy flake black, but black. But it was a big, it was picture like a third of a thumbnail. So it was, it was a big chip. It turned out it was a golf cart or something on the golf cart came down and scratched the paint and made the dent. I said, here's what's going to happen if you go paintless. You'll see zero remnant of the dent or you won't pay. But the touch up you're going to see. Are you, it's going to look like those scratches are still there, but colored with black. Not smooth. No, we're not going to sand it. I'm just going to put paint into it. And it was rusty because it had been a year. So I'll go get the rust out. It'll stop the rust. We'll touch it up. No charge for that. And you'll just pay for the dent. Or we paint your quarter panel. So 275 or 575. What do you want to do? One hour or one day? He goes, well, let's just do the, the dent and touch up. Like my wife always says, stop doing touch up, Brian. Even if I'm not charging for it, stop doing it because people are always just like, oh man, in my mind, I expect it to be perfect. Even if I tell them it, it's words. So what's the takeaway here? Number one, either don't do touch up or have a display that I can show somebody on a piece of metal that's something that's been touched up so they can make a decision at that point. And I was just like, oh man. So we're gonna paint the guy's quarter pound. I didn't charge it for the dent initially. I said, we're just gonna, I'm not gonna charge you twice. Let's just roll this into the quarter pound. So he's scheduled, he's gonna come out. But because he lived with that dent for one year and the car was new, I was thinking to myself, this guy's not gonna do it. I thought this is a dent touch. I didn't think he was that picky about it. Could you see how I would think that? He lived with the dent on a brand new car when it had the most intrinsic value. It's special. It's like a new relationship, man. You're, you know, I, I guess I don't know. Maybe relationships are better when they're older, but <clears throat> it was just this car was new to him. I thought, oh, the value would be super high, and he said no. I'm thinking he's not going to give a shit about touch up. He did. Assumption on my part taken and noted. So two mistakes. Number one, don't use words to describe touch up, but use something physical like a display. If you can. And then number two, don't burn anything on top of asphalt. Whew. All right. So today we're going to talk about enemies. Not frenemies, enemies. Know who your enemies are. Know who your competition is. 
Why? I love everybody, Brian. Peace and freedom, man. Smell the roses. You have a VW bus. You should know. Bro, I got a VW bus because I like VW buses, not because I'm a freaking hippie. I'm far from it. So, why have an enemy? A, it's going to help you create a differentiated brand, which we just got done with that huge diatribe on Monday, which is so important for every category these days, guys. You need to carve out your unique and own space. There are so many brands that have clearly built themselves up by defining who their enemy is and then messaging around. I call it comparison marketing. At the end of the day, guys, do you, do you know what PDR is? We, we're disrupting the out-of-buy industry. A lot of us don't want to come with such correct and strong language, but we are. Especially if you're doing big downs. I'll give you an example. I'm going to talk about two things. I'm going to talk about PDR training just a little bit because I'm going to tell you who my enemy is. And I, I don't view it as a bunch of enemies. I've got one. I've, I've had one for probably at least 20-something years. And there's a lot of history behind it, which I will not share on the, the, the airwaves. Some of you who, who have trained with me know that, know these stories. Some don't. Because why don't I, I don't like talking about negativity. But I will talk about enemies and how it helps your business. So who's our enemy in PDR training? None ever, none other than the infamous Ding King, aka Todd Sudek, who I'm not a big friend of. We don't go to Thanksgiving together. We don't hug. I don't go to synagogue with him. I don't. I really don't share anything in common with this guy at all. We've had personal run-ins. There's been dialogue. It has not been of the friendly nature. So what is their USP? And why why is it my enemy? Let's go back. Let's go let's wind the tape back. It's my enemy because in the airwaves, him and I compete a lot of times. Our customers overlap sometimes. My customers have heard of him and his customers have heard of me. And for some people, he is the best choice. And for others, I'm the best choice. So because there's a lot of overlap, we compete. And he, I should be his enemy. He should be mine. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't mind that. I just believe in competing fairly and friendly. Even if you're enemies. I think it's the best way to be within an industry. Not all people subscribe to that feeling, though. So what's their USP? And I don't know exactly, but I'm going to tell you what I believe to be. A beautiful, uh, beautiful touch points. Slick marketing materials, magazine style brochure, a lot of money, expensive, nice facilities, beautiful. When you're not doing a lot of repairs, it's easy, especially auto body and paint and those dirty repairs. If you're just a dent shop, it is pretty easy to stay clean. You get dust. That's it. If you're doing anything else, I feel like I'm fighting a cold or something right now. If you get anything else or do anything else, like wheels, bumpers, detailing, you're going you're gonna to have more dirt. And it's hard to maintain a pretty facility. And of course, if you dedicate your space to service versus training, it takes more room too. So, so they have nice facilities and they have a strong brand. Mr. Sudek is a good brand marketer. 
They also utilize video reviews and they built their entire CTA, their call to action or the USP around certified training. And I will say one thing about that. In our, in our industry, for those of you that are in the PDR industry, there really isn't any such thing as certified. None of our clients, insurance, dealers, rental cars, auctions, retail, nobody recognizes any certification. The only thing that's certified is when somebody goes through their school or mine, as we all abide by the laws and rules of the state that we are training within, which is California, that we will give a certificate of completion, which is a little different than certified. But some people like to play on the word a little bit as a marketing angle, aka gimmick. And a lot of people who are not in our industry, even some that are, might be hoodwinked into believing that if you have a piece of paper, you can waltz in and all of a sudden you're going to be garnered and given all kinds of work because you are, you have a badge. Hey, I'm certified. Well, if anybody's been this business long enough, <coughs> you're going to realize that it doesn't matter. Certification doesn't exist, not in automotive recon or auto body, and it comes down to skills. Who are you and can you do the job? Skills drives the bus, as I like to say. And what's us? What are our unique, our USP? Just that. Giving students skills, small classes, and performance-based training in a real-world studio, not a classroom. That's it. So those are our, our differences. That's my enemy. And when I market, I market what we do that is different than others, and that's it. Are they? The, are we the only two training schools? No, there's others. Quite a few. But that's one of the biggest ones. He, he That's pretty much their income. They don't do service, not to my knowledge. They don't really, they don't think they sell a ton of products outside. They probably sell some, but their main bread and butter is students, enrollment. Ours is just the flip side. We're a huge service center, and basically we train a very few select amount of people, and when we do, we try to give them a specialized, intense experience. So that's my enemy. That's how we differentiate. And when I identified them and they identified me, we both have our thing. They got their certification that they use. I have my small class and real world uh, environment that angle that I use and that's how we compete what about you guys how do you compete with other PDR techs either on the retail front or wholesale and how can you be different let's say in your town you've got some brick and mortar well some people want mobile PDR so you would obviously push hey we're mobile we'll come to you the convenience the this the that and just the opposite for the people who have brick and mortar what about wholesale how do you compete on wholesale? Hopefully not price. Have you ever surveyed and asked your dealers what they really want? They want decent quality. They want a good price. They want a fair price. They don't need the lowest price typically. <clears throat> and they want maybe more services if you could do more services. They want prompt. If they sell a car, they want you there yesterday. They want reliability. They're pretty simple. They're not. Most dealers aren't that picky. 
So when they're not that picky, they don't have that many cares, it's hard to be different in the wholesale world. But you can be. There are some angles that you can use. We're not going to get into wholesale PDR marketing today, but I'm telling you right now, I can think of a quick 10 things you could do that would separate yourself from other dealer PDR techs. All right, so who else do we compete with on the service end? We compete with body shops because we do not just dents, but we also do paint. Even if you're just a dent guy, you still compete with body shops. Sorry to tell you that. It is what it is. We have one biggie and three mom and pops within about three miles of our front door. I know all their pricing. I know their ads, their overall goals. Some of these people are DRP. Some are retail oriented. And some only pretty much want to do complete paint jobs on old cars, classics, or pieces of shit. A.K.A. Mako. I know the PDR companies. Some want mobile small dents and only do small. Some guys do mobile three days a week. I know one guy it's three days a week and then he does dealers the other two. In and out of his route. And he markets on Yelp. That's the only place he markets. And then there's others, there's like three others that do mobile auto body and paint over dents. But they lie and tell the customer they do paintless when in fact they don't. When they get out there, they fit. They have to have their name figured out. That's who we compete with in my market. How do I know? Because it matters. Do you know is the question. I'm turning the camera over to you. Yes, Bobby. Do you know or are you complacent? Do you do surveys? I talked about that last time the last podcast. How do I get information? Used to be a $5 Starbucks card. Now it's a $7 star Starbucks card. A lot of people won't tell you the truth or respond. That's a bummer. For those that do, for those that are, you know, you can kind of tell people they're straight shooters. If they didn't book with you, that those people are more, well, even if they do, it's important. I was, I bit my lip there. Hey, why did you book with me instead of blah, blah, blah? Well, I thought you were nice. I thought you looked good in those jeans. Okay, cool. Or why didn't you book with me? Because you didn't respond fast enough. I booked the other guy. He was quicker. Okay, so my, I need to automate my, my responses or be quicker. Same with wholesale. How come you use David and you don't use us? Et cetera, et cetera. What would, have, what would have changed? What things would have changed? You know, what would you change if you didn't get the sale? I mean, there's so many different things. I'll, I'll show you some stats. I've, I've made some notes here. For our retail customers we surveyed over the past three months, the ones that didn't book, 60% of them basically said in some form or another, they just put it off in general. It was a little more than I expected or, you know, even if it wasn't more than they expected, they just, you know, I'm going to hold off. They didn't get it done. So more than half of the people who don't book don't get it done. A lot of us in the retail space think they went somewhere else. But it's, we're assuming that it's that important to them. It just wasn't important at that price point and or their time. People being lazy. It's kind of, I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense. It's human nature. So 60% didn't do it at all. <clears throat> Only 20% went to the competitor. That's not bad. So out of all the business we don't close, out of 100%, only 20% I'm losing. Okay, I think I'm doing pretty good. I like to lower it down to 10, 
but 20 is not bad. The other 10% directly said they're saving money to do it later. It was definitely too much for them or more than they expected. And they didn't have the budget or just didn't want to allocate the budget. And then 10% was a miscellaneous of other. The least, they just turned it back with the damage in it. They sold it with the damage in it, gave it to a relative. I mean, just it just it wasn't that they put it off or a competitor or it was a money issue. It was just something else. So there's your 100%. Our 100%, I should say. So that's valuable information for me. That's what I wanted to know. What if 40% of that was competition? That would completely change what I'm doing. So that's massive. But it wasn't. It was 20. And out of the 20, a lot of people didn't say who it was. Some people did. Was it one person that we competed with over and over and over? No. It was spread pretty wide. So not we don't have one main competitor. We've got a lot of little ones that chip away at us, whether it's body shops. I'm going to competitor in my man, hey, I went to the to the buy shop because my insurance told me to go there. What do I say to that? Well, I fucking told you you had choices, but you know. Or I told some other people, hey, look, we'll cover your deductible and they still went there. Well, they said that the other shop will guarantee it. Fucking A, everybody guarantees their work. But what do you do? You communicate better. And you're not always going to win. That's business. You try to win the majority, but you're not always going to win, are you? So anyway, that's it, guys. That's my You Should Have an Enemy podcast episode. 21, no, 22 minutes in. I appreciate your ears. What am I going to ask? The same old, same old. Please rate and review the podcast wherever you catch it. Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Martian Podcasts, your kids' high school podcast consortium, wherever you catch your podcast, please rate and review. We'd, we'd be indebted. Share it with your mother, by the way. I want everybody's mothers listening to this. Thanks so much, guys. We'll have a good one coming up this Friday. On the next... SAI millions and millions of dollars PDR podcast. Bye-bye for now.